Welcome to the podcast today. Uh, we have a kind of an interesting one for you, involving uh, our own Glenn Beck, who has who left the show a little early yesterday, which was kind of nice because it gave me a chance to just rant endlessly about Andrew Cuomo and his last day in office. However, he left for a reason. Glenn left. Well, well, Andrew Cuomo definitely left for a reason, but Glenn also left for a reason yesterday because he was getting on a plane and flying to the Middle East. He is in the Middle East in an undisclosed location, doing the show uh, from there today. He has kind of a behind the scenes of how everything is going and where our efforts might lead next. If you want to help with this effort, you can go to the NazareneFund.org. I know that's a big, uh, big part of this. Although, as Glenn mentioned, we've been able to pass our goal, at least our initial goal, to rescue people in the Middle East. And obviously any um, additional help would be uh, greatly appreciated. Though, really, your prayers would be really appreciated, too. We're talking about Christians and other religious minorities who are in, in severe jeopardy because the Taliban has taken over. These are people who are vetted Christians, people we've worked with before, uh, and these organizations have worked with before. And they are going not to the United States, but to other third-party nations and other areas. And they need your help. Obviously, the Americans are being evacuated by the military. We'll see how that is going to go. Some of the translators as well, and, and those types of people who helped during the war. But there's other people on the ground here, there, that are in real trouble and everyone's trying to come together and, and get something done so if you can help the nazarenefund.org is the place to go and um you can go to blaze tv.com slash glenn the promo code is glenn there to save 10 bucks off your subscription to blaze tv we'll have more on this as the day develops here's the podcast you're listening to the best of the glenn beck program I'm live from the Middle East um, in uh, one of the countries that is kind of command and control of what is going on in Kabul. Um, we have uh, greeted. I just I just landed about an hour and a half ago, uh, so I'm a little discombobulated. I left during the show yesterday, uh, and we've been flying throughout the night to be able to get here. Uh, it is now late in the afternoon, and uh, <clears throat> it is, uh, it's a mess. It's an absolute mess. The good news is people have gotten out. Um, the, the U.S. citizens and those with, uh, you know, what they say, blue passports, uh, those who uh, also have letters allowing them to get in, many of those people were sitting on the tarmac, and now they are are leaving the tarmac and getting into uh, C uh, what is it C one what are they one forty ones the transplant the, the uh, transport planes and the United States is saying that really if you're not at the airport now you're not really going to get to go and they're asking for people to back up from the gate. Um, because they've pretty much given the gates over to the Taliban and to uh, ISIS. And people have been trying to get through the gate with their blue passport, and they can't. Now, the United States government is denying all of this, uh, but let me give you this from a CBS reporter. In one of the 
One of the more strange uh, communications from CBS I've ever seen. Uh, CBS reporter says, I just got off a video call with a U.S. citizen, a woman housing multiple women and children in her home. Some are very young. Others are physically disabled. I saw them all on a video. She said she has tried multiple times with her blue passport and can't get to the airport. That's true. Those things are happening right now. Citizens cannot get to the airport. Uh, then somebody on this Twitter feed said, you should contact Glenn Beck of the Nazarene Fund. They have planes. Then um, somebody said, planes are useless when pay- people can't get to the airport. Yes, indeed, that's true. That's why we also have helicopters. They said, the next person uh, tweeted, uh, dad of Queens, uh, they have groups that are getting them to the airport as well. The Nazarene Fund is amazing. Misty said, he said today the State Department was tanking their efforts. That's when the CBS reporter said, guys, none of this is true. As Dad of Queens responded and didn't get one from CBS News, are you talking about the State Department blocking or that the Nazarene Fund isn't doing what they're saying they're doing? Well, I am here to testify to you, in fact, be a witness And that's one of the reasons why I'm here, to be a witness to history. Let me play the video here. um, If you can play that video that I sent you from the tarmac of Kabul, there are the transport planes, and you see the people that the United States government is taking in, lining up to get onto those planes. And lo and behold, you start to see another, a couple of other Uh, commercial jets, and this one is our Airbus taking in women and children. So I don't know what part of all of this is a lie, but that was taken from my team on the ground in Kabul. We'd like to get more people out, um, but uh, we're not getting any help from the State Department. And it is obscene what the State Department is doing. Right now, you have the system collapsing on the, uh, the outside. Okay, you can take these people who are in the Kabul airport. Um, we can't help you get anybody through the gate because, ooh, ooh, Taliban and ISIS. And I guess we're now afraid of them. But uh, by the way, where are you going to fly that plane? Because they're not giving us documentation for these people. We've, we've vetted them. We know who they are. And there's nowhere to take them because they are blocking the countries from taking them. They won't give them. You know, I told you a story the other day of uh, Raoul Wallenberg. Raoul Wallenberg is a great American hero, except he's not American. He's Swedish, but he's an American hero. We asked him to do something. And then what a surprise. We abandoned him. We asked him to just report on what was going on over in, um, I think it was Prague. I can't remember exactly. It was a little fuzzy this morning. Uh, but it was in World War II, and we wanted to know Budapest. We wanted to know what was going on with the Germans and the Jews. Well, he got there, and he saw what was going on. And he, they were loading them on trains to bring them to death camps, and they were liquidating all of these people. And so what did he do? He started issuing what's called a Schutz Pass. 
He, against the king of Sweden, he started issuing Schutzpasses, which said this person is now under the protection of the king of Sweden and they are Swedish citizens. Nobody in the world wanted Jews. The Nazis were in Sweden. The king called Raoul Wallenberg and said, what are you doing? You're going to get us all killed. He said, you want me to stop? You're going to have to come here and stop me myself. These are people. We can't get the State Department to issue our own Schutz passes anymore. But I have a little, I have a little surprise for the, um, for the Secretary of State and the State Department. I have the airplanes. I have the money. I will tell you right now, all of these refugees have been spoken for by countries all over the world, except for the United States. The United States won't take people who are Christians. We'll take everybody else, but not these Christians. Not these people who, as we told you yesterday, we had a phone call from a fantastic woman who has already saved girls from Afghanistan. And she said, I have 200 female judges and they're all marked for death because they put uh, their life on the line by sentencing men to prison. And then the Taliban opened up all the prison. And so who do you think they want to get? That woman who dare put me in jail and tell me what I had to do. She's a woman. So 200 of these judges, including uh, the um, uh, judges of the Supreme Court. I don't know. I think, they should, uh, I think they should have a country to go to. Now, we have several countries. We have the United Kingdom. We have Australia. We have several in the Middle East. But we can't get the State Department Schutz Pass. Huh. So the State Department, I'm just, I just want you to know, because I know, I know you like law and order. I know you like to do things the right way. And so if you don't want to issue, you know, the papers so these people can go to other countries, I understand that. Um, that's why I will fill up these planes and I will fly them to Mexico. And these 200 female judges and the Christians, the families, the moms, the children, they'll all deplane someplace in Mexico. And then I'll walk them across the border because that's the only way, apparently, you can come in legally to America. So I'll just walk them across the border and don't you dare think I won't do it. All the State Department has to do is just allow the paperwork to go through so these people can be resettled everywhere in the world in countries that want them. America doesn't want them. That's fine. Then stop being like the Nazis. Let them go someplace else. I tell you, I feel exactly like the people must have felt when they were just, when they had the means, 
when they had the money, when they had the angles, when they had everything to get them out. And the Nazis wouldn't let them go. Why? Because they wanted to kill them. Well, that's exactly what the Taliban is doing to these people. The Taliban is going to kill these people. We have the airplanes. We have the countries that want to take them. We have the money to get them there. What the hell is the problem? The State Department. Why? Why? These uh, judges are, they were at the gate yesterday. They've left the gate now. Because we couldn't get them through. Huh. They're going elsewhere. We're going to get them out or we're going to die trying. And State Department, Joe Biden administration, you have set the world on fire. On fire. You have destroyed our credibility. Now England is leaving before we get out of there because we're getting out of here. We're pulling troops out now. We're starting to pull our troops. When has the United States ever pulled troops out before the job was done? When? When? When has the United States left people behind? Can you help me out on that? Oh, it's probably Vietnam when we left people behind last time. That's right. I remember the POW camps. I remember wearing the bracelets of the people who we think left, we left behind. Yeah, that was a really proud moment. Don't think I won't do it. Because I will. And I know it would probably be very unpopular with my listeners. But these are people. These are Christians. These are educated women. And by God, I will walk them across the border. If you don't allow us to take them elsewhere, to countries that want them, there's something wrong with you people in Washington, D.C. Something deeply, deeply unsettling. You didn't, you're not doing the job, so the American people are doing the job. Get the hell out of our way. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. From the Middle East, uh, I, I wonder if this would have happened five years ago if uh, I could tell you what country I was in in the Middle East, but nobody wants their name known, not to the rest of the world, but to the Middle East because they are so afraid of reprisals from uh, the Taliban, from now a reconstituted uh, al-Qaeda and ISIS. And uh, I don't think anybody trusts America anymore. I know I don't recognize my country anymore. It's embarrassing. 
Richard Grinnell is with us. He was the uh, former director of national intelligence. Uh, and uh, I mean, I just, I love this guy. Richard, how are you, sir? Thanks for having me. I'm really a pleasure to be here. Thank you. What can you tell us on what's going on? You know, it's very frustrating because what what is really important for our listeners to understand right now is that what is happening was not an intelligence failure. Everyone should feel very good about the fact that the U.S. government, the intelligence officers, uh, the, the people you pay to join the Foreign Service of the United States and go work in our embassies overseas, uh, our military, they reported, they saw the rise of the Taliban early. This was being reported in May of this year as out of control, certainly. But even before May, we could uh, see that the Taliban was going to take advantage of the Biden administration. It, it's important to remember that this was not an intelligence failure, but a political failure. The political class in Washington, D.C. ignored the, the warning. Let me push back on you just to play devil's advocate. I thought I believe any of this, but Biden will say, well, that was just one of many voices. And of course, there were there were voices that said it, you know, but but everybody really said that it was going to be fine. Well, I think uh, the reality is, is that that's not true. There were plenty of warnings from state and intelligence officials. And let's just let's just be. Um, Scotty Miller, who was in charge of Bagram, uh, he warned Biden directly and Jake Sullivan directly. I have this uh, as fact. He warned that if you shut down Bagram and you take away the 2,500 troops, you will quickly have 5,000 NATO troops follow you in leaving. This will be a disaster. The Taliban will see this as their opportunity, and you won't be able to respond. Now, look, in in the Trump administration, let's remember, Glenn, that on January 20th of this year, Donald Trump handed Joe Biden a stable Afghanistan, a functioning embassy at U.S. Embassy Kabul, and a Taliban that was deathly afraid of getting bombed if they took over a city. The problem is not talking to the Taliban. The problem comes in in what the Taliban hears. And what the Taliban heard under Donald Trump is we cannot reconstitute. We cannot go forward and take over a city. We will get bombed. And obviously, once Joe Biden took office, the Taliban completely had a different calculus. They did not hear that. They started to take city by city and nothing happened that encouraged them to take over the whole country. Our troops were withdrawn before we evacuated the embassy. Look, I don't say this lightly, but for a secretary of state to sit in cabinet meetings and allow the military to leave Afghanistan before state department employees are evacuated, that is abandoning state department officials, foreign service officers, good Americans, we should not allow this to happen. The Secretary of State should resign in disgrace 
for allowing the military troops to leave before we evacuated the embassy. The foreign service officers in these embassies, they don't carry guns. They're looking for political solutions. They're doing applications for immigrants who want to get out. These are frontline workers for the United States of America and pushing our good brand. They don't have guns. They are not equipped in a hostile situation. They should be protected. Otherwise, if they're not going to be protected, they should be evacuated. And they weren't. This is shameful. I've spent 10 years at the State Department, and I'm outraged that this happened to the State Department employees. Richard, I I don't understand what's happening at the State Department. We have... We have planes on the ground. The Nazarene Fund, which is a charity that um, I started years ago, um, it has become this very, very competent charity. We operate all over the world. We have now, as of today, I think we're $3,000 shy of $30 million. We have all the planes. We have very competent people working in Kabul with the generals and everybody at the the airport. Um, We have the ability to move thousands of people, but we can't get the State Department to do anything. Everything with the State Department is like pulling teeth. And now they're not giving the, I don't remember what it is, but the, the permission for these other countries to take these people. We have countries that want to take these people and they won't give us any of the documentation, any of the work. They're all fully vetted everything. What is happening? Well, let me tell you one thing that's happening is that the, the paperwork processing and a lot of the language skills for the State Department are done by what we call local employed staff. LES is, the, is, is how they call it. And the locally employed staff are Afghans. They have now been told by the Taliban that they cannot leave the country. They will be targeted because they worked for the American embassy. These people are in grave danger. And the State Department has not allowed them, the locally employed staff who, has, who have worked with Americans for decades, to not be evacuated. The Taliban is not letting them out. And the U.S. military, the Biden administration, is not demanding that these locally employed folks uh, get evacuated. So they are in hiding, Glenn. Their lives are now in danger. We do not have a functioning embassy. And people are outraged by this. When the military leaves, you can't expect the State Department to stay in a hostile zone. Who's responsible for this? Who's pulling the strings at the State Department? I I blame uh, Secretary Blinken's weakness for not standing up in in a... cabinet meeting. I've been in cabinet meetings and it's a lively discussion and decisions are being made. And if you are not at the table defending your agency, then you are doing a disservice to your employees. Clearly, Secretary Blinken and Wendy Sherman, the Deputy Secretary of State, allowed these decisions to be made where the military would be evacuated and their State Department employees would not be taken care of. How, how is that possible? I have no idea. But we do know when you talk about strings being pulled, we do know 
that when Susan Rice was the national security advisor for Barack Obama, her two deputies, one was Tony Blinken, our current secretary of state, and the other was Avery Haynes, our current director of national intelligence. Both the intelligence agencies and the State Department are led by Susan Rice deputies. Susan Rice is pulling the strings. She has the title of domestic policy advisor. No one in America believes she's working on Medicare policy. What is what what is it that we can do? Uh, you know, I've talked to so many senators and congressmen, and they're all screaming bloody murder. What, what is it that we can do? Um, because once the once they leave office, I mean, sorry, once they leave the airport, all these people are going to be slaughtered, Richard, just slaughtered. It, it is. Americans are going to be. Uh, held hostage if we don't get this right. And I, I think that what we can do, it, first of all, we have very poor choices right now. We are in a corner. We have a variety of really bad... But wait, 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 wait. If I'm president of the United States and you come in to me and this is going on, I say, I'm going to airlift, you know, 10,000 Marines and I'm going to clear that damn area out and get our people out. Isn't that an option? That is absolutely an option. That's a dangerous option, but it is an option that I think we have to look at uh, because all resources should be used, the U.S. government resources, to get Americans out. Um, my, my point is we're in a very bad situation with terrible options. Uh, which are forcing our hand to go in and in a messy situation, try to clear areas in order to get to the Americans. This is causing our American men and women who work in the military to go into an unnecessary conflict zone. They shouldn't be uh, having to, to, to do this. And yet we find ourselves in this situation. But I think okay, what okay. we have to be able to do is articulate very clearly as people who have access to the media and, and social media, everybody on this hearing our voices needs to articulate, get the Americans home and get them home soon. Richard Grinnell, former acting director of uh, National Intelligence. Always great to talk to you, sir. sir. Stay safe. Thank you. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program. Representative Chris Stewart is with us now um, in Washington, D.C. Hi, Chris. How are you? Good morning, Glenn. I'd say, hey, thank you. God bless you for you and the Nazarene Fund and the, you know, the hundreds of thousands of people, maybe more, who have contributed. Uh, that kind of effort is what's so important right now. Yeah. Chris, um, I, I was uh, talking to Richard Grinnell about an hour ago about this debacle, and the White House is 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 now saying to the press that they're demanding, uh, you know, a, a little, you know, a little pat on the back for how well this is going. Now, I don't think I've ever seen anything worse than this, and it gets worse by the hour. Yeah, this is this is a generational failure. Glenn, I really believe that just like we see pictures of Saigon evacuation at the helicopter at the top of the embassy, and every American knows what that is, even though it took place 50 years ago, 50 years from now, 
our grandkids will see pictures of those 800 Afghans in that C-17, and they're going to know instantly what it is. This will be remembered, and it's not going to be remembered as a great success for President Biden. It will be remembered as a, a, the greatest failure in a generation, and how they can try to twist this and try to turn the narrative that they should be congratulated. Well, it's beyond description, but American people aren't that stupid. And they're not looking at this thinking, man, they've done a great job. And even the press, for heaven's sakes, recognize it. Now, I expect, and I'll bet you do as well, the press will eventually turn on this and try to create the impression that it was handled well. No way in the world they're going to be able to pull that off. It's just such a catastrophe. It can't be reframed as anything other than that. Do you believe that, you know, we're pulling troops out beginning today, today, the the airport is a mess. There are pictures now of people standing in, you know, knee deep in sewage, um, just trying to get close to the gate to to show their passports, to show their papers that they should be let into the gates. Um, And the White House says we'll have everybody out. We'll have everybody out that, yeah. you know, a U.S. citizen. Do you believe that? No, of course I don't. I don't think there's a person in the world who believes that except for perhaps President Biden. And if he does, he is the only one. But we've already begun the wind down. We talk about the August 31st deadline as if, uh, you know, at 12 o'clock on that day, all U.S. forces just click their, uh, you know, click their heels and, and they are transported back to the U.S. We have already begun the drawdown. As you know, 300 Marines who were embassy security forces, who, by the way, Glenn, are Marines, they know how to fight. I can promise you those guys didn't want to be evacuated. They wanted to stay there with their brothers and do what they could to help the situation. But yesterday, 300 Marines brought down. And if you just look at the timeline, and this is blazingly obvious, but it's something that needs to be, uh, I think, discussed. We have 6,000 U.S. forces there now. Six days to be able to draw them out and counting. It it takes at least three days now to begin uh, and to focus on those security forces. And by the way, withdrawing forces when they're surrounded and when they're outnumbered and when they're outgunned, by the way, now, because those uh, the Taliban has, as you know, billions of dollars of U.S. weapons. That is an incredibly delicate and a very dangerous operation. And it has to be done over time. So I think the focus uh, over the next really six days, but particularly in the last three days, will be on just that, getting the U.S. military out. And there's no way in the world you're going to get out all the American citizens. And there's no way in the world we're going to get out those Afghans who, with great courage and commitment, believed us when we said, we will not abandon you. Work with us, work as interpreters, work in whatever fashion you can to help us. We will not abandon you. And that is exactly what we're doing to them right now. Chris, you're one of the best fiction writers. I've, I, I know you're, you're a great writer. And you also write nonfiction books. Um, but uh, just, just write a little fiction with me here for a second. It's, it's two months, I'm sorry, it's uh, two weeks from now. Are we going to be seeing and dealing with hostages? Well, I think that depends if you talk to White House spokeswoman. It depends on what the definition of a hostage is at that point, right? Just like some of the other definitional battles they've had. But if you were an American or if you were an Afghan who has been promised that they will be evacuated and you're no longer able to do that and you're under the power and uh, and and have no no ability to uh, to remove yourself 
that seems to me like a hostage. Now, whether the Taliban actually holds a gun to their head and uh, says you can't leave, or if they just shut down every method of leaving, any, any means of leaving, it's the same outcome. Uh, and, and the great fear, and this is obvious, I think it's the one thing that everyone understands, the Taliban could in a moment, <clears throat> sorry, the Taliban could in a moment say, these are our hostages. They could put guns to the head, which is why, mm-hmm. by the way, Glenn, two days ago or yesterday, the president went to the Taliban and says, hey, we need more time than August 31st. They said, no. And the president came back and said, oh, good. Well, I've announced we're going to leave on August 31st. It's because he has that great fear of these Americans and these Afghans being held hostage. And why did we send the CIA chief over to meet with the Taliban yesterday? What was that all about? You know, that really is kind of an unusual occurrence. And working in Intel, it was puzzling to many of us. I think uh, this is my observation on this, um, and I think it's probably right. Uh, I think he's one of the few people around the president that he probably trusts right now. Uh, because that's not normally it's CIA's purview. I mean, normally that'd be someone from state who would be involved with that, perhaps with some military detail assigned to him. But uh, that was an interesting thing, and I honestly don't don't understand the explanation for it, and we haven't been provided with one. Jeez, oh, and you're on the intelligence uh, committee. Your oversight on that. Um, the um, uh, the embassy. We left. Bagram and just left it, turned off the lights. Um, I, can't, I don't even understand it. We built a billion-dollar embassy. There's got to be things in there that we don't want other people to have, and I certainly don't want to have the Taliban allow them to have our billion-dollar building. Are we going to blow that up? Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I don't know, but I mean, I can tell you this, the former president made it very, very clear on a number of occasions, and he po- spoke about this publicly, and he was adamant about it in private. We will take every American citizen, we will take every Afghan ally, then we will withdraw U.S. troops. Second thing, we will not leave them a single stick of equipment. And, uh, and as you know, <laughs> we've left them billions of dollars. And Bagram was a great example of that. It's a very secure location. Now, it's difficult to evacuate people from because it's isolated and it's nearly impossible to get U.S. citizens and Afghan allies to Bagram. So there is that, and there's that's understand why we wanted to protect Kabul and use that as a primary resource. But to your point, Glenn, about the, uh, the facility, the building, the equipment that's there, and unfortunately, we know classified information that was left there. Uh, to abandon that overnight without any explanation to our allies, by the way, who were also relying on Bagram for much of their support, uh, and the explanation is, well, we couldn't uh, protect both of them. Then adapt your plan. If you can't protect a resource that you need, adapt the military operation so that you can. You can't just turn out the lights, as you said, in the middle of the night and leave it for the, for the Taliban. I don't know if you saw this, but um, Kamala Harris was in Vietnam yesterday and her plane was delayed. I haven't heard an update on this. I've been on a plane all night, um, but um, her plane was delayed because of the Cuba syndrome, what they're calling the Cuba syndrome. Some people, they didn't say who, um, that were was on her uh, junket over there were affected by something that we only identify as the Cuba syndrome, some sort of a ray from somebody targeting her hotel rooms and her staff's hotel rooms. Uh, I can't imagine that that would have happened just even a few weeks ago. 
uh, to a vice president. But do we know if she's okay, what happened, and who would be responsible for something like that? Yeah, this is this is what we know and, and, and that I think I can discuss. Uh, the Savannah syndrome or Cuba syndrome, as you talk about, we've been aware of it now for probably three years or just short of three years. There are not just a few. There are hundreds of people who have been, we believe, who have been attacked by this. We think we understand what kind of weapon it is. It should frighten the life out of every American to think that diplomats and members of the U.S., leaders of the U.S. government, you can't travel overseas safely any longer if this is to continue. Uh, so with uh, the vice president, it was, as, again, as I understand, it was uh, a couple of diplomats who were in the Hanoi embassy who had, uh, were showing symptoms of this. The symptoms are fairly consistent. They're long-term. This isn't an imaginary thing. This is an actual physical manifestation. And, uh, and we have no way to counter it and, and no way to identify when an attack is taking place. Again, it puts every one of our diplomats, every one of our military, every government person and civilian as well, Glenn, you could be a, a target of this potentially, anyone overseas, uh, and, and you have no idea when or how it takes place. It really is a concern for us that the, originally the CIA didn't take it nearly as serious as they needed to. They take it very, very seriously now. But we've got an awful long way to go before we understand this and are able to protect U.S. persons from such an attack. So who do we think is responsible for this? I mean, China, Russia, either? Well, take your pick. Um, and, you know, the information on that is, is fairly closely held, and it's understandable, but, okay. uh, you know, there's a number and of allies you, can, that uh, are... Can you tell me, can you tell me um, uh, how it works? I mean, can you tell me, is it a... What are the symptoms? How long does it last? Is it deadly? Yeah, it's not deadly in the sense it doesn't kill you. There's a number of possible explanations, a microwave, an intense microwave, a couple other possible uh, scientific explanations. The the symptoms are <clears throat> everything from nausea to uh, disorientation, severe headaches, uh, you know, dizziness, et cetera, et cetera, long-term loss of memory. And, and, and again, this is something you can physically demonstrate through uh, an examination. It's not, you know, it's not something just imaginary. It's not something where they can scan the body and the brain and say, no, we see no evidence of it. They actually do see evidence of it. It's physical. And some of the, some of the earlier uh, individuals who were, uh, who were victims of this, it's been now years, and they still experience many of these symptoms. So it's not something wow. that hits you in the night and the next day you feel better. Many of these symptoms have been prolonged and, as I said, have been uh, ongoing ever since the, the original attacks. Act of war kind of stuff if we knew exactly who it was, wouldn't it? Attacking the it people be, with our vice president? It would be, and it's not the only type of that kind of scenario where we, you know, we're in this kind of a gray zone. I mean, look, some of the cyber attacks uh, against us, uh, you know, certainly yeah. aggressive acts, whether they're acts of war or not. It depends on, you know, where you want to draw the line. But it's not the only uh, indication or the only example of us being at risk. Chris Stewart, thank you so much. God bless. Please, uh, thank you, sir. please keep fighting for us uh, in Washington and with the State Department and the military to Get these people out. We're there and we oh. need your support. Thank you, Chris. Oh, we, we will do that. Promise you. We will do that. Thank you for everything you do, Glenn. Uh -huh.